Welcome back to Screen Time. I'm Ro Khan. And I'm Richard Roper. We have found our lost friends. Could you be any happier? I might be actually happier. We okay. will talk about the Friends reunion and my reaction to it. Although I think you huh. kind of liked it. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Let me tell you first, Screen Time with Rowan Roper is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. The digital landscape is changing rapidly and to compete in today's business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes offering web design and development, e-commerce, mobile apps, digital marketing. It drives your overall business success because they believe today's online world is your opportunity. Get started today at AmericanEagle.com. Well, all the fans of Friends got exactly what they wanted. They wanted to see the six get back together and make us laugh again. And it just made me sort of melancholic. It was an oddball reunion, I thought, Ro. Now, first of all, if folks don't know if they haven't seen it, it's an HBO Max thing because HBO Max now has all 200-plus episodes of Friends, right? And it was on Netflix for years. but right. So there's no coincidence that it was on HBO Max. And it was produced by Warner Brothers, even though it ran on NBC. Okay. Back in those days, back way back in the 90s, yeah. they used to have rules about who could own the production of yeah. a sitcom or a television show that was running on a network. The networks couldn't necessarily own more than a certain percentage of the things that they were actually putting on. That has since changed, but back then, it was Warner Brothers and Sony Pictures and all these other production companies yeah. That weren't necessarily owned, and Warner wasn't owned at that point, didn't own a network or wasn't owned by a network, that would actually produce these things and then sell them to the networks. So Warner Brothers is now HBO. HBO, Max, all gotcha. that. That's all the Warner media family. And as such, they now want to control their library of stuff. This is We'll get to this in another podcast, but this is why that whole Amazon-MGM deal is so big. Because now you're getting consolidation of owning the product and then distributing it. Gotcha. Whereas the government didn't want you to do that before because they thought that, that would be bad for competition. Right, right. So the Friends, uh, the television show, which aired from 1994 to 2004, was on a Warner Brothers soundstage, which has now been titled the Friends soundstage. It is kind of cool if you ever get a chance. You and I have had the opportunity for various work projects or whatever. When you visit, you know, whether it's the 20th Century Fox slot or any of the, any of the big sound stages, because you'll see sometimes a plaque on the wall of a certain soundstage and you'll see like the Grapes of Wrath partially <laughs> right. filmed here, yeah. but also, you know, uh, you know, something from the 70s and then some sitcom from the 90s, et cetera. It's kind of cool. So they got the friends together. Uh, it's been 17 years and they haven't all been in the same room much. You know, they're still friendly, but to get all six of them, they have their they have their lives for one thing, I'm eternally grateful, Rokan, that they did not pick up the stories of Ross and Rachel and Joey and the whole bunch as characters, as we've seen in so many reunion shows. We don't need to see them, you know, 20 years down the, the road. There was some discussion about where the characters might be, and that's fine from the actors themselves. And they did make an important point. The producers made the point, and, and the actors talked about it, that if you were to bring them all back, in a sitcom format, yeah. as a story narrative format, you'd have to unravel the happiness at the end of the final episode because you got to create conflict to create conflict. Yeah, and they, you know, they did that with Will and Grace and some of these other shows, which to me it just kind of sullies where they left it. And that's why Jerry Seinfeld has, has said a million times, 
you don't want to see all these guys. You know, you don't want to see Jerry and Elaine and Kramer and George like in their early sixties, still like living across the hall from each other right. and hanging out at the coffee shop. And I'll make this point too, is before we get into the the real nitty gritty of the Friends reunion, there's been this big movement on social media. You know, Seinfeld next, and as I pointed out. They already had a Seinfeld reunion. It was called Season 7 of Curb Your Enthusiasm. And right. it was brilliantly done by Larry David. Got the actors back. Got to kind of reshoot the finale, but also have them playing themselves. Eminently more satisfying than if you did any kind of the four of them sitting on a soundstage. Now, for the show itself. Mm-hmm. So they got the six of them together, and they actually went back to that soundstage that we talked about. And they recreated the set. Yeah, so the, the two apartments and the coffee shop, of course, were all our, you know, side by side. It's always weird, even though we know about the magic of television, to go like, oh, Central Perk was actually next door to... The bedroom. Uh, the bedroom, you know? <laughs> uh, and that was cool, and each of the uh, actors walked in one by one and kind of... And you could tell they were seeing the set for the first time in 17 years, and there were tears and hugs, and then reminiscences uh, that I found interesting when they were sitting around talking about their shared experiences row my guess is you were not a huge fan of some of the other elements including the they have the guest stars various people who played various you know famous guests on the show right. come Reese in and uh and Tom Selleck who looked like he didn't know why he was there <laughs> that he was taking a nap on the set of Blue Bloods which I think <laughs> is in New York anyway uh and he really looked like he, although I thought maybe he was staying in character as Richard and he was still know. mad that he lost uh, uh Rachel <laughs> yeah, Ra- no he lost not Rachel oh uh, yeah yeah Monica Monica I can't remember the names <laughs> of these people it's been 17 years uh to Chandler Bing so he would come in uh. And then there was the weird thing, too, where they had the fountain in front of the soundstage, it looked like, outside, right? Yeah, that yeah. fountain is actually in front of the corporate offices there. And James Corden, who apparently was just plucked from his show, I, I did find out, because people were asking, why? And I love James Corden. I mean, I think yeah, he's a great, great conversationalist. He's a terrific talent. But he just gushed. It wasn't, he really didn't do a Q&A. And apparently, I think the producer-director of this special is also the producer-director of James Corden's show. But so what? Did he get to decide then? Because it was just odd for James Corden to be like, you know, who had the funniest laugh out of all of you? It like he was asking, like, you know, inane questions. I know. It, right. It felt very much like an infomercial, like I was going to have to buy a Floby at the very end of this. Yeah, right? It, there was something off-putting about the outdoor set, and then they had this crowd there. I would have much more preferred a documentary-style presentation yeah. for it, where you're sitting down and you're interviewing them together and then individually. I thought they had some interesting techniques here. One was the table read, yeah. where they would splice in a table read of them in the modern day, yeah. reading famous scenes and then splice in those scenes together. And it was fun to watch the actors work as actors yes. doing that. Really cool effect. Yeah, I like that too. I was actually surprised that the actors that the actors agreed to do that to slip back into character, not in costume and everything, but as you mentioned, with the table read. I was surprised they would do that because you could almost think, well, what's the upside to this? The downside is they don't sound convincing or it seems stilted. They were terrific. Yeah. We were reminded of how talented they were. Right. Uh, Jennifer Aniston and David Schwimmer in the scene leading up to their first kiss, and then they'd show us the actual clip from the show you know, almost 20 years ago, and it was amazing how quickly they slipped into the character. So I like the table read stuff. Yeah, and this isn't a spoiler alert because it's been out already, and now I've seen it all over the weekend on the press. There was apparently a budding romance in the first two seasons, actually between David Schwimmer and Jennifer Aniston, Mm -hmm. as their characters were getting together, Mm -hmm. and they played it off as though that was just 
them living out their enamoration for each other mm-hmm. as the characters and that they actually hadn't done the deed. But then Matt LeBlanc was like, bullshit! Yeah, you know? yeah, and yeah. so I don't know what was really going on there. They must have known. It worked out. You could tell that they were covering some of their rumor tracks and things like that uh, as they were just sort of presenting this. And again, who gives a shit now, you know, yeah. decades they later? Were, they were young. They were in their 30s and right? single. Uh, and that's the thing, too, Ro. You mentioned, like, a documentary style. I don't think it would have hurt. You know, obviously, HBO Max wants a very positive, you know, reunion out there and everybody's celebrating it. We heard from people all around the world. It was kind of cool talking about how you know, two girlfriends were talking about how they related to the to the girlfriends on the show or yeah. whatever. Um, but I still think you could have some some legitimate questions. And, you know, first of all, they didn't talk at all about they talked about the audition process, which was interesting and who was cast in what order. But they didn't really talk about too much about how their lives changed. We saw how they became an international phenomenon, but they didn't talk individually about how they went from being starving artists to millionaires, you know, within a, a year. Nor did they talk about some of the difficulties, you know, whether it was... A little bit. But not, but not like... afraid and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, a little bit. But, you know, and they, and they kind of did the Beatles thing. Only us six know what it was like to be the friends, and that's fine. But, I mean, I think it would have been fine to ask, well, how did this affect your personal relationships? What about, you know, the addiction issues that mm-hmm. might have been faced? Uh, and then even, you know, the, the criticisms over the years that, listen, this is this white, you know privileged version of new york city that even though half the time they didn't have jobs they had these fabulous apartments and i know it's a fantasy it's a sitcom i think it would have been interesting to hear from the actors about that well you know in the uh hollywood too white or you know the kind of moment that we're living in right now i found it really odd that of the people they chose not to have in this reunion Aisha Tyler was one of them. And Aisha Tyler had a full season arc as a girlfriend of not one, but two of the characters on Friends. And they did not bring her back. Now, I don't know. Maybe there was a scheduling problem for her. I have no idea. But it's so odd to me in this moment that they cast her in the first place because they were one of the first sitcoms to get criticism for not having black characters, for not engaging and, you know, nobody, Seinfeld was, and nobody was really doing that to any great degree mm. unless it was a black sitcom like Cosby, right? But NBC was having this reckoning moment in the 1990s into the 2000s. We were like, hey, you know, how come they don't have a black friend? Remember that whole movement? Yeah, yeah. And then Aisha Tyler does not show back up on the show. Now, it, she's a personal favorite of ours, but it doesn't seem fair to me that they wouldn't make room for her, even if they could just go and shoot her talking about the show like they did some of the other people who were in it. Yeah, some of the folks, they had to remind us who they were, uh, you know, <laughs> and the roles they played. And others had, you know, quite prominent roles. Uh, then there was the really odd uh, celebrity thing where you'd get David Beckham telling us how he's always traveling and he would watch Friends when he was on the road. And I love David Beckham, but I don't give a shit what he's watching in his $5,000 a night hotel suite. And I, you know, I find it, he also made it sound like he was a traveling salesman, like he was Willie Loman, you know, in 1939 or something. Like he's like, you know, a lot of lonely time, lots of downtime. And like, really? How much downtime is there? With all those tattoos and all that money and all the all the endorsements and right. and all that the stuff. And back then he was still playing, you know. Yeah. So it's like, was he really in the hotel room? Maybe it's not like he was in a Motel Six turning up friends because the couple next door was, you know, going at it. That's fine. <laughs> I and, do think it's kind of interesting how they will sometimes watch the show. Now you have yeah, I think it was yeah. Lisa Kudrow says she never watches the show. Yeah. She's entire seasons she has not seen. Yeah, crazy. But then you have Matt LeBlanc talking about how there was one on just a couple nights ago, I don't know, TBS or whatever yeah. he's watching. 
does he really does he watching TBS and then turning up the volume to see what and this telling is? the family I'm really good in this. I'm like, <laughs> He admits it. I like when they, you know, Jerry Seinfeld just says he he'll occasionally click across it and go, "Damn, that was really good." You know, the writing yeah. was great. We were right on there. But then they did this other thing at the Friends reunion, and every time they went away from the six of them on the set or doing the table reads, I felt like it lost momentum. And they did this fashion show at one point with Cindy Crawford and Justin Bieber yeah, weird. wearing costumes from the show, like famous costumes from the show, and that just seemed insane to they, me. That was very hallucinogenic. Yes, and they handicapped themselves by doing it in three different styles. Uh, one yeah. show, three different styles, and they tried to mix them all together, and it just, at the end of it, became kind of a toss salad, and I just didn't really feel as satisfied as I was hoping I was going to feel at the end of it. But there were a couple important revelations, and and I, I think we also have to address this, too, because this is the elephant in the room. It's also the elephant on social media right now. You know, 17 years has passed since we last saw them mm-hmm. doing this, and obviously they've gone through some physical changes. Courtney Cox you know, sort of famously you know, had uh, all kinds of facial surgery done that, that made her look very, very different. She still doesn't look like Monica yeah. you know, in the way that yeah. she looks. Uh, you you have Matt LeBlanc looks different, but sort of in a, a jovial kind of way. Did you see on Irish Twitter? Yeah, yeah. On Irish Twitter, there's a whole thing about Matt LeBlanc being their uncle, their drunk uncle. Yeah, yeah. You know? I, uh, I found many pictures of me in that exact pose uh, through the years. <laughs> so I was like, I don't think that's funny at all. And uh, Matthew Perry, you know, his publicist came out and said he had had dental work, and that's why he was like having trouble, you know, little slurring seems odd that he would have dental work the day they were going to be a, doing a gigantic reunion show you got to remember what happened to matthew perry uh during the run of friends he was the one who had the most amount of personal travail yeah he had had an addiction he had gotten pancreatitis from his drug use and mm. was so sick he had to be hospitalized he lost a bunch of weight he looked different from season to season he started slurring in seasons Mm. And there was a, a couple of different explanations for it. Remember, he also drove his Porsche onto a porch. People Jeez, may yeah. not recall this, but he wow. got into a pretty bad car accident in mm. L.A. I forgot about that. And hurt himself badly. Had to have surgeries as a result of it. He may have had some facial damage. They never acknowledged it. It mm. certainly seemed to me as though he did. Knowing the exact medical situation here, things that just between he and his doctor, I'm sure. But this is a very different guy in both his presentation and his speed of thought and speed of being able to communicate and then whatever was happening in terms of what looks to me, and again, not a doctor, but Mm. it's a podcast. What do I care? Uh, It looks to me to be some sort of damage or paralysis that has taken part of his facial movement away. Wow. Well, we actually played in a charity event. Believe it or not, it was a wiffle ball game. And I don't know if people around the country, you know the wiffle ball with the plastic ball and the bat. Uh, uh, in, I at, Wrigley, at Wrigley Field. Yeah. It was an amazing event because it was a star-studded group of local and national celebrities. Billy Murray was there. Uh, and Matthew Perry showed up a little bit late. And this was, what, close to 10 years ago, right, mm-hmm. Ro? And, um, he, and I don't say this. We're not making fun of him at all. I mean, you know, he did not look good. I mean, he was right. smoking cigarettes and he, he seemed you know, not connecting. And he wasn't being, uh, you know, distant to people or unfriendly. He went and talked to some fans. I saw him taking pictures and signing autographs. He just didn't seem that connected and he kind of felt the same way with the reunion. 
I got the feeling, and again, we don't know, but I got the feeling that some of them are closer than others. And I feel like that, you know, Jennifer Aniston and Lisa Kudrow, for example, I feel like there's a real friendship there. You don't have to stay friends with everybody. I don't know how much time Jerry Seinfeld is spending with Julia Louis Dreyfus these days. They're on different coasts and they've got their families and stuff. But I got the feeling that he really hadn't talked to them that often over the years. Right. He complained about it a little bit uh, at the beginning of the special. He kind of brought us down in the special. They're all talking about, how often do you guys talk to each other? And they all kind of talked about it. And then he's like, nobody ever talks to me. Yeah. Which it, 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 it tells you a little bit yeah. of the story. He did have troubles. And if you go back to the Oprah special, which was the last time they were all together, yeah. right on a set talking about the show, yeah, he was the one that they were all worried about. You know, what are you guys going to do in the aftermath is what yeah. Oprah was asking. And they're all like, well, you know, you know, we love each other so much. We're just kind of worried about Matt. And, you know, he did the, the whole Nine Yards, which was a big hit. And he looked like he was going to have a movie career that didn't really pan out. They've all done, you know, David Schwimmer, uh, by choice, has returned to Chicago a lot, and is doing a lot of theater and, you know, is behind the scenes, you know, mm -hmm. and, and directing and producing Jennifer Aniston's had a huge career up and down with movies, but still, you know, had a huge career. Lisa Kudrow and Matt LeBlanc found ways to kind of reinvent themselves. Uh, Courtney Cox has been on a couple of, you know, pretty big shows. And, and has, produces. And, and, yeah, and produces and, of course, had the Scream franchise. Matthew Perry's the one we've seen the least of post-Friends as mm -hmm. well. So, I, I don't know. To me, I was never the biggest fan of Friends. I liked it. I understood that it had the great writing, and they were amazing together. I got a little tired of, you know, the back and forth with some of the romances and the stunt casting, you know, and they did talk about that. You know, Sean Penn was on the show. Julia Roberts was on the show. Uh, you know, all these huge movie stars who yeah. I think you know, wanted to be on the Brad Pitt. You know, you know, kind of, and, and, you know, he hated Rachel. That was the big in joke there because they two, of course, in real life and had a romance. I, I always feel like when you get that much stunt casting going on, even the parents were all played by very famous actors, whether it was Elliot Gould, Gould or, you know, and <laughs> yeah. that to me always just kind of takes you out of the show. I actually loved that about the show. Well, what do you know? Yeah, exactly. I, I loved the stunt casting shows. I loved the, the Thanksgiving shows were excellent, I thought. Because you got to see actors coming down, like Brad Pitt, stepping down off the big screen, right? You're seeing him and these, like, gothic western action, like, sweeping where he's <laughs> chewing the scenery of the Rocky Mountains yeah. kind of stuff. He's so, you know, like, amazing as an actor and right. this physical presence. And then all of a sudden, he's a nerd on a sitcom hating his girlfriend in real life. You know, yeah. it's, it was I, – I, I liked the fact that they were so big. And it was so ballsy for them to do things like that. You felt like you were part of a winning team with that. And and yeah. I got to say that you had uh, Reese Witherspoon played one of Jennifer Aniston's sisters. Yeah. And then the other one was Christina Applegate, who actually had a little had a couple of different arcs yeah. as the actress in that. And she was so great. Those, those yeah. post-Emma being born episodes with Christina Applegate as the really narcissistic sister, it was, I think, some of the best work of that whole show. Well, you're right about that, too, and the writing uh, kept the same level, and that's not always the case for a show that runs for 10 seasons. I think sometimes with a comedy, it's even more difficult than with these great dramas, you know, to be able to keep that level. And the actors, they really were. I mean, you know, the casting could have gone different ways, and we always hear about who, who could have played this role or that role, but they found 
the right people, and mm-hmm. really none of them were really known. Schwimmer was the one guy that they kind of built the show around, but people didn't know him then. You know, he had done a couple of things. So they also, it's. I think it's always great when a show starts off and we don't know the actors and we believe them immediately playing the characters. And one last fact, by the way, uh, if you thought the friends just showed up because they wanted to see each other, uh, they were each paid $2.5 million for that reunion. So, and I know in most cases, I don't think they need it, but $2.5 million. Right. You know, you and I, we get together with former radio friends and TV colleagues. It costs us when <laughs> the check comes. Every single day. It costs me when the check comes. Why does it still cost me? I don't know why that happens. Uh, there is one little, <laughs> speaking of the casting, and there is one thing that just fascinated me, and it, and it gave me the one pivot moment for the entire, pardon me for using that term, yeah. pivot moment of the entire hour and 46 minutes or whatever it was. The character of Joey was huh. either Matt LeBlanc or this other actor that we didn't really know about and haven't really heard much from since, mm. except for the fact that that guy played Joey's doppelganger in an episode of the series. This kind of goofy, really like super chiseled, uh, almost uh, looked like he would play a hitman yeah. in a, in a yeah. series somewhere. And, and it's funny when you think about it, would that guy have been as popular as Joey. The writing being the writing, but just the physicality. There was something that was so mm-hmm. uh, appealing about Matt LeBlanc because he looked like he could be a tough guy, but you could see he was also just, you know, a little soft. Sweetheart, too. Yeah. yeah. Well, I always thought it was great, too, uh, the Jerry Seinfeld, through the arc of Seinfeld, over the years, he gave he and Larry David gave roles to just about every talented actor who auditioned for the roles of George... And Kramer and Elaine, right. and he would give all of them would get uh, a role, a speaking role, sometimes for one or two episodes, sometimes just for one episode. You'd, and you'd let later learn that that comic was up for the George role or that actress was up for yeah. the Elaine role. I always thought that was a cool thing for them to do. Yeah. And they're going down to their mailbox, they're looking for those syndication checks. <laughs> Jennifer true. Aniston doesn't care. That's true. Well, good for them. Uh, it's, uh, it was a great series. We'll talk about the best sitcoms of all time on Thursday's podcast in just a moment. Who to follow on social media, and I think Richard is going to surprise you. But first, let me tell you about chocolate cake at Portillo's. Famous for their hot dogs and beef, Italian beef, hot, wet, sweet, dry, whatever, however you want it. But the chocolate cake is what really kills Mm -hmm. at Portillo's. It is delicious. It is something, I'm telling you right now, if you live in a part of the country that has Portillo's, Go to Portillo's, get whatever you want for your entree. They have great salads and stuff like that, too. You don't have to, like, you know, go crazy. There's healthy food there as well. But then get the cake yep. or get the cake shake, which is oh. completely insane. I've never had the cake shake. Oh, my God. It's, it'll, it, well, I'm telling you, everything about this particular cake will change uh, your life. Okay. Now, if you don't live near a Portillo's, order it. Online at portillos.com, P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S.com. They can ship anywhere in the United States of America for you as well. Telling you it will change your life. And if you live somewhere near a Portillo's, get to it today. Portillos.com. Before we say goodbye, I want to bring back a feature that was very popular on screen time. And then we got too enamored with the sound of our own voices and forgot about that is who to follow on social media every Tuesday. Mm -hmm. We spotlight someone who's terrific. Sometimes it's someone very famous. 
Sometimes it's someone who's just very, very interesting and does cool stuff. In this case, it's both. It's Morgan Fairchild. Oh, oh wow. She's at Morgan Fair. M-O-R-G-A-N-F-A-I-R. Morgan Fairchild, the famous actress. And, you know, you would think just from, you know, the kind of role she had, she was Morgan Fairchild. There was a reason why John Lovitz picked that person, like, to be his fantasy wife on SNL because she's kind of a classic beauty but seemed a little... I don't want to say stiff, but not not somebody who would, you know, do shots at the bar. You know, not like a, a gal's gal or a guy's gal, but she is. She's very active. She's very engaged, and she'll comment on social issues, but she also just has a blast on the Twitter. So Morgan Fairchild, follow her on Twitter. And she looks great, by the way. Amazing. Morgan, <laughs> I never, Morgan, I don't I, know if you're single, but. I would have never yeah. thought about that. She's I, terrific on Twitter. I remember she used to be really good on late night talk shows you know whether yeah, it was carson see? or leno or whatever it was wasn't she one of the parents on friends she was a mom on yes. friends too we were just talking about that. well she was no who was she no i think she was chandler's dad on friends who didn't had a transition no, yeah transgender. yeah okay i think that's uh, it, we better have that right yeah i'll look that up okay. but i think that's the case if you don't if you look it up and it's not the case none of this will ever air <laughs> but it probably will. i'll tell you what why don't you look it up and then tell me if i'm wrong hold on dear hold listener on. Yeah, oh, trust me. <laughs> With a middle initial of somebody wrong once, and people were like, how can I ever trust you again? All right, we're going to do this live. We're doing it live to find it. We're going to uh, check to see. Uh, the American actress. Looks. Yes, uh, and she. I think she played the dad. I think that was the whole premise of the comedy of that, was that she was super hot and she was the dad, or that uh, the dad was a woman. Oh, no. Oh, no. She was the wife. Okay, right. I got it now. I got it. I got it. I got it. She was the actual mom who was this, like, indifferent, sort of very glamorous woman. Nora Tyler Bing, the mother of Chandler Bing. Right. Ex-wife of Charles Bing. Who was played by Kathleen Turner. Oh. As a transvestite. The dad had decided that he just wanted to live as a woman. Okay. Got it all. See, that's... Well, follow Morgan Fairchild on Twitter. You could probably... (laughs) I'm sure if you ask her this, you'll be blocked by Morgan Fairchild on Twitter. (laughs) All right. All right, that does it for this edition of Screen Time with Rowan Roper. The Rowan Roper podcast is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. AmericanEagle.com is a full-service global digital agency providing best-in-class web design, development, hosting, digital marketing, and much more. Visit AmericanEagle.com for more information. Screen Time is produced by Tim Melanius and Renee Nelson. Our music and technical producer is Brian Altimer. See you next time.